0: I think it requires that people care about learning about endometriosis and learning about things that affect women's health and that affect the health of gender diverse people. Unfortunately, there's a historical neglect of those sorts of issues. We just don't have the level of awareness and attention and education that you would think that a disease that affects 1 in 10 women would warrant.
1: Hey, hey, I'm Dr. Leslie Wakefield, a pelvic floor physical therapist, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Philippa Bridge-Cook about endometriosis in general, and specifically on how endo can cause sexual pain. Philippa has a PhD in medical genetics and microbiology. She is one of the founding board members of the Endometriosis Network Canada and is currently chair of the board. She is also co-chair of EndoAct Canada and is a member of the steering committee of the World Endometriosis Organizations. Her own experience with endometriosis sparks her passion for helping others who are also suffering because of the disease. Philippa is a scientific advisor, consultant, and medical writer specializing in molecular diagnostics. She is an intellectual powerhouse. She brings together her professional expertise and personal experiences to inform her work as an Indo advocate. And just as a heads up, Philippa is calling in from Canada. And unfortunately, the connection is not as good as we would like it to be. The audio does sound like she's coming in from over the phone. So we apologize for that, but the information is really good. So if you are at all interested in endometriosis or sexual dysfunction that may be caused by endometriosis, I hope you'll stick with us. The information is amazing. Philippa is an expert and we are really lucky to have her here with us. Philippa, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Can you please tell us what is endometriosis? Sure. So um, endometriosis
0: is a complex and often debilitating chronic disease that occurs when tissue that's similar to the lining of the uterus um, implants outside of the uterus and forms lesions, cysts, and deep nodules. And these growths that are found um, in various locations around the body and in the pelvis are inflammatory and they can be invasive and they can result in severe distortion of the pelvic anatomy and infiltration of various parts of the abdomen. And it's commonly thought of as a gynecological disease, but actually it's really a whole body disease, it's a systemic disease, you can have endometriosis growth um, found on non-gynecological structures like the bowel, the ureters, the bladder, even lymph nodes and the lungs. And um, if it's not managed and treated, uh, invasive endometriosis can even result in life-threatening complications
1: like bowel obstruction and organ death. Do we know what causes endometriosis? Unfortunately, no, um, we don't know what causes endometriosis, which
0: is a little bit shocking because it's a fairly common disease, um, it affects at least one in ten women, and as well as unmeasured numbers of transgender and gender diverse individuals, and so it's kind of surprising that we still don't really know definitively what causes it, but, um, you know, there are lots of theories, and we just need more research.
1: So, if it's found in other parts of the pelvis, is it fair to say it's not just related to menstruation or a menstrual problem?
0: Yes, that's definitely true. Um, you know, often the endometriosis lesions are hormonally responsive, which does mean that for a lot of people with endometriosis, they can experience um, more severe symptoms, including pain when when they're menstruating. But you know, people can have pain and symptoms when they're not menstruating as well. So, and, and because, like you said, that it affects structures that are not gynecological, it's definitely not just a gynecological or just a period-related disease.
1: And what kind of impact does endo have if it's affecting so many structures and it's inflammatory and it's pain-producing throughout the month? Um, what does this look like for someone who has endometriosis?
0: So, commonly, people with endometriosis have pelvic pain um often like severe and debilitating pelvic pain with menstruation but also can have chronic pelvic pain you know throughout the menstrual cycle Um, and then people have whole body symptoms like fatigue and that's a really under recognized component of it but you know because it is inflammatory it's probably I guess we don't really know what causes the fatigue with endometriosis but um, definitely exists and interestingly i was reading an article recently that said that when or people people were asked to rate the level of distress they had about various endometriosis symptoms and fatigue was the most highly distressing symptom um people with endometriosis can also have infertility sometimes about 35 percent of people with endometriosis have infertility and then there are other symptoms that can also happen depending on where the person's endometriosis lesions are found so It can affect the bowel, Um, it can cause painful bowel movements, it can cause nausea, it can cause vomiting, diarrhea. Um, If it affects the bladder or the ureters, it can cause various urinary-related symptoms things like pain with urination or frequent urination, bladder pain. Basically, pain is a really cardinal symptom and, and where that pain occurs depends on where the endometriosis lesions are.
1: I think a lot of women find that when they try and discuss pain, symptoms, or fatigue, or um, a sort of non-specific discomfort, a lot of times they are dismissed as being maybe overly dramatic or take some Advil. So what kind of barriers to diagnosis do women face when they try to talk to their doctors?
0: Yeah, so dismissal is probably the number one barrier for sure. Um, menstrual pain is really normalized and that's part of the problem. Like everybody thinks, including physicians, that it's normal to have painful periods, but that's actually not true. Um, if you have pain that can't be managed by taking an Advil and then go about your regular day, then that's not a normal level of, of pain with periods. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't know that. So, um, but then there's also this perception that women who complain about pain are, are making it up, it's in their heads, they're just being dramatic, it's not that bad, and, and fatigue too, it's so easily dismissed because everybody's tired, right? Like, our, our world, our <laughs> the way we live in the world is, is you know, dropping, <laughs> but I mean, the kind of fatigue that is caused by a disease is, is a different level of fatigue. But again, that can be easily dismissed because there are no objective ways to really measure or show that. I mean, there's there's questionnaires that can be used that those aren't typically used in everyday clinical practice.
1: How long did it take for you to be diagnosed? And do you happen to know off the top of your head, what is the average as far as diagnosis?
0: Yeah, the average does vary. Um, I mean, it's, it's long everywhere. It's way longer than it should be everywhere, um, so about five to 12 years. On average, which is a large range for an average, but, um, you know, in some places of the world, in the world, it's starting to come down a little bit, which is great, but, you know, that's still a really long time. Um, so it took me over 20 years to be diagnosed. I started having symptoms of painful periods when I was a teenager, but, um, I didn't really know that that was abnormal at the time, so I didn't really talk to my doctor. Nobody ever asked me, do you have painful periods? Um, and then when I was in university, they sort of continued getting worse. And then by the time I was in my late 20s, I was feeling like something was wrong. And interestingly, I'd never heard of endometriosis, even though I, by that point, I had a PhD in a medical field, and I had taken, you know, years of different medical and biological sciences in university I'd never heard of endometriosis we had a friend that was diagnosed with endometriosis and I looked it up and when I saw the symptoms I was like oh <laughs> I think I have this um so I started asking doctors about it and you know some of them when my doctor at the time sort of said yes and you might have trouble getting pregnant so you should probably do that sooner rather than later um which is a terrible thing to say to somebody because they should get pregnant when they're ready to get pregnant (laughs) or if they want to get pregnant but it still took me another seven years after first raising it with a doctor to get an actual diagnosis because you know I actually started having miscarriages and then every doctor I saw said oh you couldn't possibly have endometriosis because you can get pregnant which is clearly wrong because we know that only about 35 percent of people with endometriosis actually have fertility problems. So, you know, eventually after seven years of complaining about increasing pain and other symptoms to my doctors, I finally had an ultrasound that showed some evidence of endometriosis. And Prior to that, every ultrasound had been normal, which is very common with endometriosis. It often isn't seen on an ultrasound. Um, So I had surgery, but it was an incomplete surgery. Um, They didn't remove all of the endometriosis. It wasn't done by I had no idea at that time that there were sort of different levels of surgical expertise. So I had that surgery and got pregnant with my son right afterwards. But as soon as he was born, my symptoms all started coming back because my endometriosis hadn't been properly treated. So at that point, I was told that my only other options were various medical therapies like the birth control pill or... Um, I tried so I tried all different kinds of birth control pills that didn't work which is pretty common with people with endometriosis especially with severe deep endometriosis. the birth control pill is not that effective. Um, tried other medications like progestin-based medications so it didn't work. And eventually a number of years later I had surgery which was a complete excision surgery and that did help a lot of my symptoms. But like many people with endometriosis, by that time, you've had chronic pain for so many years. There are other issues going on at that point. And you also have, like, scar tissue and adhesions from all of the years of inflammation in your pelvis. And, you know, having surgery can address those, but the adhesions can come back as a result of surgery. So I had, I think pain at that point after excision surgery. I had a lot of my endometriosis pain was gone but I still had pelvic pain from adhesions I had pelvic pain from pelvic floor dysfunction. I still have a painful bladder problem which may or may not be related to endometriosis and I also most likely had thoracic endometriosis that wasn't addressed or even looked for at the time of that surgery. So, For me, that excision surgery was a really important piece of starting to get better, but there were still so many other things that I needed to address in other ways afterwards to really get to the point where I had a good quality of life.
1: So if someone is diagnosed eventually and appropriately, um, what what sort of options do they have in terms of resources or treatment? I mean, I, I think I've had a lot of patients come to me having had a hysterectomy or having had... Um, a surgery with their gynecologist, but they still continue to have symptoms. So they really don't know if they've been treated or not.
0: Yeah. So ineffective treatment of endometriosis and inappropriate treatment of endometriosis is very common. Um, there are options for treatment. Um, you mentioned hysterectomy. And so, with that, I mean, if you think back to what we were talking about at the beginning, where endometriosis is a disease that is, you know, cysts and nodules and lesions outside of the uterus, it doesn't really make any sense to treat it by removing the uterus. That's not where the problem is. So it's not surprising that people who have just a hysterectomy to supposedly treat their endometriosis don't have improvement. Um, surgery is like a cornerstone of of good treatment, but it needs to be done effectively and often is done very incompletely. So the most effective treatment is an excision surgery where all of the lesions are removed completely we know there's good evidence in the literature that if you leave endometriosis behind at surgery that those lesions will continue to cause pain and other symptoms so surgical management and there and there just aren't a lot of, of surgeons who are trained to do that kind of meticulous deep excision surgery on all of the various structures in the pelvis um, a lot of gynecologists will say yeah I treat endometriosis you know they'll go in and they'll do what's called ablation surgery where they burn you know a little bit of the endometriosis but they're not really trained to remove deep nodules from bowel or ureters or the diaphragm or the lungs, <laughs> you know? Um, they're probably so, not even so checking surgery, those areas. Yeah, probably not. And so surgery can be a very effective treatment, but it has to be done by somebody who's an expert in doing endometriosis surgery. There are other reasons too, why people can continue to have pain after their endometriosis has been treated because there are a lot of other associated problems or issues that can go along with having endometriosis. Like people may have other diseases of the pelvis, like they may have irritable bowel syndrome, or they could have painful bladder syndrome, or all of the inflammation in their pelvis could cause pelvic floor dysfunction. People can have neuropathic pain and things like that. So, you know, effective treatment of endometriosis also, and getting rid of, all the symptoms and pain involves a very like multidisciplinary and complete assessment of all of the possible pain generators and what's causing issues and treatment of all of of
1: those things as well. That sounds really overwhelming. (laughs) I mean that sounds like a lot of doctors (laughs) and a lot of people to visit um, for somebody that's already exhausted and in pain. Um, So what I mean what kind of professionals do people seek out? I mean obviously a specialist let's say um, for diagnosis and potentially surgery, if that's necessary. But what other types of specialists might someone need to see?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is the shame that, that people have to manage all of that on their own and typically don't have, I mean, it would be great if they were just sort of multidisciplinary clinics where a person could go and then see all of the various different specialists that they need, but a gynecological surgeon, with lots of experience in minimally invasive endometriosis surgery excision surgery would be, you know, one of the first steps. And then, you know, they would probably be in, in a position to make referrals to other medical specialties as needed, like if somebody needs to see a GI doctor or a urogynecologist or a pain clinic. Those can be helpful. And then there are, you know, allied health providers that are super important for many people with endometriosis. Pelvic floor physiotherapist is probably number one because so many people have pelvic floor dysfunction as a result of having untreated pain and inflammation in their pelvis for so long. And then people can sometimes get some relief from bowel symptoms or pain with um, dietary changes. So they may see somebody who's a naturopath, or a nutritionist, a dietitian, somebody who's experienced treating people with endometriosis and knows what kind of dietary changes are helpful for that. Some people get released from acupuncture, or massage, things like that.
1: So the first step is finding somebody experienced with endo and then using that person as a gateway to refer to other specialties?
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah.
1: Um, so for somebody that maybe doesn't have a diagnosis yet, what would be cardinal symptoms for them to look for? Obviously. There could be a lot of different symptoms. You listed a lot of different areas that pain can exist. It can exist with menstruation and outside of menstruation, fatigue. But are there any sort of cardinal symptoms that someone can say, wow, that looks like me?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the three symptoms that should really alert the doctor that endometriosis should be strongly considered would be painful periods, and painful bowel movement and pain with sexual activity. Those are sort of three things that can really mean that somebody has a fairly significant chance of having endometriosis.
1: Let's talk about pain with sexual activity because that's the topic um, for today. Uh, the technical term for that would be dyspareunia and what might that look like for someone?
0: So, I mean, with endometriosis, the literature shows that pain with sexual activity can take different forms. I think everybody sort of assumes that it's pain with penetration. but um, people can also have, you know, just pain with arousal, pelvic pain with arousal. You can have pain with orgasm and you can continue having pelvic pain after sexual activity. So there's a lot of different and, and the, the pain with penetration can be deep pain or it can be sort of pain at the entrance, at the vaginal entrance. So there's a lot of different types of pain that can occur with
1: sexual activity. Why, why does this pain happen? Well, a number of
0: reasons. Um, so first of all, it can be related to the endometriosis lesion itself that, you know, you have a painful nodule of tissue that's inflamed and it's just being directly irritated with sexual activity. And actually for that reason, um, excision surgery has been shown in the literature to be a very effective treatment for sexual pain with endometriosis, but there are also other reasons why a person can have sexual pain that are more indirectly related to the endometriosis like pelvic floor dysfunction would be potential cause of that kind of sexual pain and that can be treated with pelvic floor physiotherapy which is very effective for, for that type of sexual pain.
1: Can I jump in on that and just talk about pelvic floor dysfunction real quick? Yeah. So um, just in case anyone listening is not familiar with that term the pelvic floor is the group of muscles that is basically at the crotch of your underwear. It's the it's The muscles that surround the genitalia, they control peeing, pooping, and contribute to sexual function. Um, So they can contract and relax just like any other muscle in your body. And when there's chronic pain in an area, like chronic pelvic pain associated with endometriosis, a lot of times they get really tense and tender. And so during sexual activity, when maybe they're being touched or manipulated, um, that can be painful because the muscles themselves are tender and tight. Yeah. Yeah. So that pain with penetration that you're talking about, when it's related to pelvic floor dysfunction, that would be because the muscles are tense and tender and literally painful to touch. Yeah. Got it. I really love that you said that um, people think of pain with penetration, but there's a lot of other ways to have painful sexual activity. So there could be pain with arousal, with orgasm, or after sex. We've been talking about penetrative pain.
0: So... You know, they can have pain just with arousal, which can be really devastating for people. Um, I mean, all of sexual pain can be very devastating and has a huge impact on someone's life, but I think most people don't imagine that they could have an increase in pain just from becoming aroused. Um, you can have pain with orgasm, and a lot of people with endometriosis can continue to have pain for up to 24 hours or maybe even longer after sexual activity. Like a soreness afterwards? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's more than just soreness. It's sort of an increase or like a flare up of pelvic pain. It can be, can be like quite severe.
1: And this kind of pain, can it be managed with an over-the-counter medication? Is this how how do people try and work around or work through pain like this?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's there are things that can be done. I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily say it could be managed with an over-the-counter. Pain medication, that's definitely worth trying. But I think for a lot of people, the level of pain goes beyond what can be managed with that type of medication. So, you know, people may have other sort of stronger prescription pain relievers that they might be able to take. People can try like hot bath, a heating pad. Some people find relief from heat um, if if it causes a flare-up in, in pelvic floor pain then, you know, maybe heat is helpful for that, maybe a visit to the pelvic floor physiotherapist. And then, you know, where legal. Some people have used cannabis depositories successfully for that kind of pain. And and there are other prescription pain depositories as well that are more like muscle relaxant pain depositories that can be helpful for people with pelvic floor dysfunction.
1: Uh, You mentioned how devastating pain with arousal can be and pain with sexual activity in general, because for a lot of people, sex is really important to their relationship, their feelings of intimacy and closeness with their partners um, for lifestyle and quality of life. So when someone has sexual pain, and let's say specifically with endometriosis, because it is so hard to diagnose and is often really neglected when people are talking to their doctors, they, they don't, they're not listened to, they're not necessarily receiving an appropriate diagnosis in time. When somebody's having sexual pain like this that no one is taking seriously, you know how, how can that affect someone? And I don't know if you want to speak personally or with some of the people that you've worked with in the past through your advocacy, but what does that look like in terms of lifestyle?
0: So I think with endometriosis in general, it can be a very isolating disease because you know a lot of people just don't generally understand what it is and the impact that it can have on people. So it's hard to find people to talk to who understand what you're going through, and then now you're adding sexual pain on top of that, where, you know, it can interfere with your relationship with your partner, it just further, further isolates you. And, and because you may feel, you may feel comfortable telling your doctor about other types of pain, but, you know, that's an even more sort of taboo pain than, you know, saying that you have stomach pain or something like that. So I think that for that reason, this is a very particularly isolating aspect of the endometriosis experience that gets very little attention and, and not not enough.
1: I like your point that you made when we were talking earlier about doctors not asking about this type of pain. Mm. Um, I think even when you go to the gynecologist, yeah, yeah. a lot of times people will ask about other symptoms, um, maybe any menstrual symptoms. They might ask about infection symptoms like discharge or odor or uh, painful urination even, but a lot of times people aren't asking about sexual activity. I think sometimes even the doctors are a little bit uncomfortable to broach that subject.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And, you know, of course, there's limited research about sexual pain with endometriosis, but the research that there is does show that, you know, the way doctors assess sexual pain with endometriosis or whether they assess it at all is very inconsistent. And, you know, it's also really important to note that if they ask any questions about sexual pain at all that it would be typically related to their expectation of heterosexual sex and so it would typically be about pain with penetration and that's going to miss you know all of the other kinds of pain that people with endometriosis can have but also the sexual pain that people who aren't having that kind of sex might might be having.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. to have sex and penetration is just one. And I think if they're going to ask about anything, it typically is going to be specific to penetrative sex.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: As far as doctor's training goes, um, as a researcher, what do you think about the availability of information and research for physicians who do want to provide the best care and ask the right questions? How much information is available to them?
0: Well, I think that doctor's, get very little training on endometriosis, you know, outside of, I mean, gynecologists get some training on it, obviously, but, you know, if you're thinking about a family physician and their knowledge of endometriosis and what they're trained to do, you know, I think that it's hard for them with their lack of training about it to really get to these sort of nuanced understanding of like all the different types of sexual pain or things like that. So, there's definitely a huge myth there in terms of like primary care interaction. Um, And there's a huge sort of, I I think I see a huge potential for education of primary care providers about this issue because, you know, it is so common and they really ought to be trained well enough to address it and pick it up and refer appropriately. And, And gynecologists, needs better training as well. And the literature does show, the limited literature that there is shows that when gynecologists attend endometriosis-specific training, their knowledge and comfort level and ability to appropriately address it increases. I mean, that's not really a huge surprise. That didn't require research that when you educate somebody on how to do something properly, they start to do it properly, but it it is important. So I think there just needs to be more investment into doing that kind of education. I think it requires that people care about learning about endometriosis and learning about things that affect women's health and learning about things that affect the health of gender diverse people. And unfortunately, there's a historical neglect of those sorts of issues, both from the perspective of like research and funding, which is why we probably still don't know exactly what causes endometriosis. We still don't have like a lot of different, like, we don't have a range of therapeutic options. You know, we have good endometriosis surgery, but we don't have, you know, a range of other options on top of that. And we just don't have the level of awareness and attention and education that you would think that a disease that affects one in 10 women would warrant.
1: I think we both hope that, you know, discussing these things more openly leads to someone who might need the information being able to receive it. So let's imagine that someone's listening and they say, wow, that sounds like me. That looks like me. I didn't even know this was a thing. I thought it was just something that I had to deal with. I do have pain with XYZ sexual activity as well as these other symptoms. What can you suggest, let's say as, a, as an advocate, as someone that works really hard to provide information, what resources are available to somebody that wants to learn more and might see themselves in this picture?
0: Sure. So there are some great resources out there. As with any resources, when people are looking for information, it can be hard to distinguish what's good information from what's bad information. And there is a lot of misinformation about endometriosis out there. Um, If you suspect you have endometriosis and you want to learn more about effective treatment, multidisciplinary treatment, a great book is by Dr. Iris Orbach. And it's called Beating Endo. And it's a very comprehensive overview of all of that. Um, but that's for sort of more once you really strongly suspect or have been diagnosed. Um, if you haven't yet been diagnosed, you know, you have the barrier of getting a doctor to listen to you, which can be difficult. But um, there are a lot of support groups on Facebook, on the internet, um, that you can join and connect with other people who have endometriosis, hear about their experience, find out what worked for them in terms of getting a doctor to listen to them. Um, often what gets recommended in those groups is sort of keeping a pain, pain diary, you know, map, like keeping track of, of your pain and symptoms so that you can take something very concrete to your doctor and also really talking to them about the impact, not just saying I have pain, but saying like it prevents me from doing this, this, and this. it prevents me from going to work X number of days a month. It prevents me from going to school. It prevents me from exercising. It. I can't do. I can't go out in the evenings or whatever it is. That may help them understand really that it's a significant problem and that it's not something that you're being overly dramatic about. As far as painful sex is concerned, there's a very informative website called um, Sex Pain and Endometriosis that talks about all the different types of sexual pain with endometriosis
1: and various
0: treatments that are available. So that can be a great resource for
1: learning as well. I'll make sure I list all this in the notes um, after the show. Do you mind talking for just a moment about, um, you mentioned the ultrasound can be used, but it's not always accurate. I've had a lot of patients come to me and say, well, I had an MRI and it didn't show anything. So the doctor says I don't have endo. What kind of imaging can be done or should be done? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I think the two main types of imaging that can be helpful are ultrasound and MRI. Um, Ultrasound, like your typical ultrasound that you would have done in in any regular ultrasound center, would only show ovarian endometriomas, which is only one type of endometriosis. So it it would be able to show if you had sort of a large endometriosis region on your ovary, which is what my ultrasound showed when I finally was diagnosed. But it doesn't show smaller lesions. It doesn't show like superficial endometriosis in various areas around your pelvis. And I say superficial endometriosis because that's what a certain type of lesion is called, but it doesn't mean that it isn't impactful. Like those so-called superficial lesions can still be incredibly painful and incredibly impactful. Um, and then there's also deep endometriosis. And that's the type of endometriosis that can typically be picked up on MRI. But as with any kind of imaging, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect thing at all. So, and even with MRI, it would miss superficial endometriosis. So all of these imaging modalities have their limitations, significant limitations and can miss a lot of endometriosis. So a lot of, but, but doctors don't realize that. So a lot of times they'll say like, well, we did an ultrasound and it was normal. And so you don't like, you're, you're fine. I don't know what you're complaining about kind of thing. But, you know, that's not the case at all. You still have a significant amount of endometriosis with a normal MRI, with a normal ultrasound.
1: So how can someone get an official diagnosis beyond looking at symptoms?
0: Right. So at this point, the only official way to get a diagnosis is through surgery. Um, you have laparoscopic surgery, and the surgeons can directly visualize the endometriosis lesions. They can remove them. They can send them to pathology. They they send a biopsy of that lesion or the whole lesion to pathology, and you can get a pathological confirmation of endometriosis. And that's the definitive diagnosis currently. Ultrasound is improving, and there are sort of more advanced ultrasounds that can detect signs of endometriosis better than your standard ultrasound but that's still not widely available and it requires more expertise than your typical ultrasound technician and radiologist would have.
1: So let's wrap up the conversation and for someone listening that might be experiencing this problem or know someone that has this problem and they're having painful sex and it might be related to endometriosis, is there anything you'd like to convey and we can always cut this if your answer is no. <laughs> in any way you'd like to wrap up the conversation as far as someone listening in that might have this specific issue?
0: I think the thing I would like to convey is that your symptoms are real and they have a cause and it could be endometriosis. Um, but don't let people tell you that it's nothing or that you should be dealing with it better or anything like that. You deserve to have your experienced, listened to, and believed, and, you know, you need to try to find a doctor who can work with you on that, in that regard. Um, there are resources available, like mostly through Facebook groups or through endometriosis organizations where they can help you find a doctor who specializes in endometriosis and will be able to, to help you with your getting diagnosed and finding effective treatment.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I think this was really valuable. Thank you. Thank you. You're proud, Bob. And that was Philippa. I appreciate you sticking with us through the bad audio. I promise I will do a better job next time. In the meantime, I hope this was useful. I hope it was interesting. I thought it was, but I am pretty biased. Until next time, I invite you to follow us on Instagram or leave feedback. I would love to hear from you.